Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Rick Evans. I am very grateful that Rick came on the podcast. He has quite a story of trauma to share and was very willing to open up about his history, his story, his past, the healing process he went through, and how that healing process has impacted him in such a positive way, both personally and professionally. Whether you have gone through trauma yourself or know someone who has, I think you can get some really good value out of this conversation or out of Rick's story. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Rick, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I've known you for a while now at the gym and not knowing like what your history was until more recently when you started opening up up about it. And then after that, like I just started seeing some massive growth from you performance wise at the gym. And so it's been really cool to see from the outsider standpoint, as far as like just what overcoming trauma and some of these things can do for just stuff in our lives that we don't even realize is holding us back on. So I'm excited to really just talk to you, dive into your story and just kind of have you share with people like, the change, like what you've gone through as much or as low as you want to share, but more importantly, like the changes that you've noticed because of getting past that trauma. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so do you want me just to dive into it right now? Go for it. All right. So yeah, I was, uh, sexually abused by my uncle for a number of years, uh, both my brother and I, um, and, uh, so when I was about 10 years old is, is when the FBI showed up at our house and said, Hey, we found this hard drive full of child porn. And we think that, you know, your sons were probably, you know, involved in this. And, um, I remember being terrified because when you're a victim at that young of age, uh, you think you're in, you know, the whole victimization thing, you're like, you think you're the problem or you're in trouble too. And so like, I just saw police and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to jail. I did something wrong because everything always felt wrong. Um, but as a kid, you, I don't know. I just never, I could never talk about it. Right. And so, um, I denied ever having any uh, involvement in uh, being molested. And then, uh, my brother, uh, he was a little bit older than me. I think he was in about like the eighth grade and I was like the fourth grade or something like that. And, uh, it's funny. I, I remember specifically like in, in such great detail, um, that specific day, uh, it's so crazy. Um, but, uh, so from then on, my brother went through the trial process of everything. I mean, he must've been about 14 ish, 13, 14. And, um, he experienced everything as if everyone knew what had happened to him. While I, on the other hand, kept it all secret and stuffed it down. Um, and then unfortunately I watched him through the years go through, uh, essentially what I've eventually have gone through too, which, um, includes post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, you know, pretty severe depression, anxiety, um, OCD, and, you know, just an ABC list of mental illnesses. Um, and I think it's also important to note, cause this comes into play later on in my story is I was in a very religious family. 
Um, and growing up religion, our religion was super important to us and like was kind of my foundation as a person and um, really held me together, especially during the hard times, uh, which was great for that time frame. It, you know, kind of served its purpose, um, keeping me together and keeping the family together as my brother, you know, outwardly, ex you know, um, experienced what he was experiencing. Um, eventually in, uh, 2016, my brother ended up taking his own life. Um, and that was just you, the, the initial shock of everything. Um, this was like the first red flag that ever sent, you know, like something in my brain that like, Hey, something's not right. Um, I was at drill. I'm in the army national guard. I was, I was at drill and, uh, I got the phone call from my dad and, you know, he was a wreck. And I knew exactly what had happened because my brother had been suicidal for years. And um, I, I just remember feeling so incredibly numb to, to, to the news, which uh, isn't normal uh, when hearing that your loved one has died. I mean, there's that initial shock, but I'm talking like hours, days, months later, I didn't feel a thing about my own brother's passing. Um, and that bothered me for a long time. Um, and then Fast forward a couple more years, um, I ended up getting deployed. And this is kind of where the religion stuff kind of uh, comes in to where, um, you know, I, I had served a church mission and I was very, very into the church, um, provided, you know, everything for me, that stability, that belief system um, and, you know, my identity and self-worth and stuff um, and for better and worse. And uh, so along with that, um, as I was deploying, one of the other pilots in my platoon came up to me and was like, Hey, did you know I'm, I'm related, related to, you know, this, uh, religious figure, uh, through, you know, one of his wives. And, and, uh, I was like, Oh, that's weird. You know, I didn't know how to respond to that. And it bothered me too. Like, how do I, I've gone on a mission. I've given so much time and so much study into this church how do I not know how to respond to this? And so that kind of sparked interest in me to learn more about like, hey, I should probably know more about this church's history. Um, fast forward, you know, through my deployment, uh, the deployment was incredibly hard on me mentally wise. Um, uh, not so much, you know, in nothing traumatic combat wise. It was more traumatic in the isolation. Uh, not so much like traumatic, but like, I was isolated. I was put in positions where I was very much the kind of middleman of a lot of problems dealing with leadership and then the guys that I was leading. Um, and so that was really hard on me. Uh, I was in a room by myself most of the time. I was in the office by myself um, because of the standards that I lived to, you know, as far as my faith was at the time. Um, I didn't, you know, smoke or drink, uh, you know, drink coffee, all those good things. Um, well, not like, I guess, good things, but you know, those things. Uh, <laughs> but I, it was hard for me to relate to, to people. And that was also something later on that I, you know, come to realize wasn't completely normal about me is um, I, I started to realize that I have a hard time in social situations. I have a hard time communicating with people and being in, in groups of people and large groups. Um, and so 
through that deployment, I was very isolated. I came home depressed, um, just kind of feeling like an outcast. Uh, the way everything went down on that deployment, um, it was it was very hard. It felt like I was hated on all angles. Um, even though, like, I know I know I wasn't by you know a lot of the guys that mattered most, which were the soldiers I was leading, but by my leadership and that. It's hard, you know, like you don't want to have your boss hate you and, and things like that. So that that was difficult. Um, and then as months progressed, um, I started to wonder about uh, certain things that the, the church was teaching about sexuality, um, because having having been um, molested at a young age, I was, you know, sexually activated very young uh meaning that like uh, as far as like masturbation pornography those kinds of things uh i began to be involved with them not by choice but by the experiences i was put in and um you know at a very young age and so growing up i was already doing these things and doing these things before i even knew that the church was telling me that these were incredible sins and then having grown up in the, in the church, uh, it taught me that my self-worth was dependent upon my, clean, like my cleanliness or my standing before God, which includes keeping all these commandments. And no one clean thing could be in God's you know, um, presence or, or, or whatever. Uh, you have to be worthy to do all these certain things. And I never felt worthy, but I also never felt that it was appropriate for me to or safe for me to uh, tell these sins um, to my, my leadership. Um, because if I were to speak about these things, uh, I was worried that I would then have to talk about the molestation, which I still felt guilty for. Um, you know, ages 12 to 18, or even 12 to 20, eight, uh, I would have annual um, inappropriate, in my opinion, inappropriate interviews alone with a grown man. And he would ask me about my sexuality. Um, and like, you know, no one bats an eye at it when you're, when you're in the church, because like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do now having left, you know, I'm fast forwarding way into like present time. I'm just like, wow, I can't even believe that's okay. Like, how is this still happening? Um, but that what that did to me an already vulnerable depressed kid in a hard situation it taught me to hate myself even more because i felt like i couldn't be worthy i didn't anyways it was just a snowball effect it uh got worse and worse as time went on i got married it got worse and worse and worse and worse uh these feelings about myself um the habits are still there because i was so focused on i the church had taught that um these were addictions and even though come to find out they're you know normal um and it's human behavior um i mean at a certain extent yeah it could be a problem you know as far as like masturbation and pornography and things but like um i found out that i have actually been normal my whole life and again i'm like fast forwarding but uh, what those teachings did to me were some were incredibly traumatic and have taken hours and hours and hours of therapy to overcome. 
Um, so back to the timeline of you know coming back from a deployment, I um, started to wonder about my sexuality. You know, is this really a sin? Like, is masturbation really this terrible thing that's gonna like make me burn in hell, you know, for an eternity and lose out on all these things that the church tells me that I'll have if I don't do these things and if I keep all these commandments, right? And so I uh, started to look up anything church-related uh, or church-produced about this topic of sexuality and um, things like that. And uh, everything was coming back so negative. And I thought, you know, I can't be the only one. I don't think I'm the only one who is dealing with this issue. So I started to search other outlets. And this is where I found an interview that was done by a Mormon sex therapist uh, with one of her clients who essentially had a very similar past to mine. I don't believe he was uh, sexually abused, but he was sexually activated at, you know, at a younger age. and. Um, began to have these, uh, uh, I don't know, behaviors, I guess you can call them, um, before he knew that they were, you know, a bad thing too. And so I was listening to his story and relating so much because, you know, he's talking about how he was scared to tell his wife. Because if he tells his wife, she's going to leave him. And I had the same fears. I had like, because worthiness is such this like uh constant pressure in, in that in that specific uh, religion and um i it was always striving to be to be worthy even though i always had these things that you know i kept secret and um so i was listening to this and at the end of the interview it came out that he was no longer a member of the church and i was like oh my gosh that's the scariest thing in the world because growing up all the messages i ever received were like oh, people who leave this church are like dangerous and like scary and they want to go sin and do all these crazy things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I was just listening to this guy. But then I took a step back and I was like, but I related so much to what he was saying and felt so much to what he was saying about his fears, about his experiences and how um, he as a person should not be defined by these behaviors and that especially his worthiness as a person. And that really touched me. I uh, um, then began uh, a slippery slope of looking further into the church's history, uh, which then uh, pointed me towards leaving the church um, after learning a lot of troubled history that uh, made me feel very uncomfortable, especially regarding uh, uh things that were, you know, as far as like polygamy and, and things, uh, marrying of young, um, you know, 14 year old girl and other men's wife. I mean, the list goes on. I don't need to go into detail, but, uh, made me very uncomfortable. And, um, I remember it just in an instant, everything changed. It was as if someone walked into my world and flipped the world upside down. It was and then it was just chaos in my mind. It was because the church was the thing that held everything together. It was like losing my faith was the straw that broke my mental, like camel, you know, my, my mental state was a camel. It was the straw that broke my back, you know? Um, and um, 
what followed in the next month was just continued disbelief of, wow, like I've given so much time and effort and money to this church to find out that it's not what it claims to be. And that really, really hurt on a level that I've never felt before. Um, and it started pushing me towards suicide and um, very quickly, very fast, very heavy to the point to where my wife was like, hey, you need to get some help. And I was like, hey, you're right. Um, I am feeling so out of control. And so I started seeing a therapist who actually specialized in these kinds of faith crises. And um, it was great for a while. Um, my looking back on it, what I did wrong is I didn't see her enough. Um, and I didn't take it as serious as I should have. I should have made it more of a priority. Um, I attempted to go through therapy without being medicated. Um, and then, so talking about the faith crises, I remember saying, hey, I also have this past of my childhood of being molested. I've never talked about it before, ever. Um, I've told my wife before we got married. I told my parents before I left on the mission. And that is it. And I should probably start talking about that. Um, and so what followed was essentially I opened up a can of worms of just darkness uh, and pain um, and flashbacks. The flashbacks is what literally almost killed me. Um, to be a grown man, you know, 28 years old at the time and to relive being molested on a daily basis multiple times a day in my mind and seeing it in such detail uh, was unbearable, unbearable to the point to where I would wake up in the morning wishing I was dead to the point of going to bed, hoping I would die in my sleep. Um, and those aren't normal thoughts to have. Those aren't, you know, or not, I guess not normal, but healthy thoughts to have, you know, especially about yourself. But when you're in it, when you're in that darkness, that's the only way my brain was like coming up with these ideas of like, this is how we're going to fix this problem. This is how we're going to get better um, is to die because there is no way out. And so I did therapy, not as, again, like not as much as I um, should have been doing. Um, and then uh, it came to a point where actually almost a year ago, exactly, I uh, was admitted to a hospital um, because I was ready. Um, I was about to go kill myself. I was um, to the point of like, okay, I know I'm going to kill myself in this certain way. Um, it's just a matter of when is my wife going to leave the house with the kids that I can just do this already. Um, so went to the hospital, got checked in, got transferred to a psych hospital um, and Finally met with a psychiatrist, which should have done in the get, you know, in the get go. Um, and I got prescribed medication and officially diagnosed with uh, a few mental illnesses to include PTSD, um, depression, anxiety, um, and uh, insomnia. Um, and so, uh, what followed after that is these meds stabilized me. Um, I was nervous because being on medication, I thought meant like all these side effects and I was going to gain weight, that I was going to, you know, have all these issues, um, and be like a zombie. Um, and what I've come to realize is the side effects never really happened. Do I feel like a zombie sometimes? Yeah. Um, but 
uh, that was kind of like the first two months and then my body kind of stabilized and, you know, to the dosage and everything. And ever since then it's been great. Um, but I continued therapy. Uh, I started seeing a therapist again, um, who, uh, was in person this time. The other one, I, I think I failed to mention was over zoom and that was great, but she couldn't read my body language, uh, because, you know, she would only just see shoulders and up. Um, but seeing this person, the therapist in person was great for a while. Uh, but we got to a point to where we weren't necessarily treating my, uh, PTSD symptoms that were still causing me a lot of pain. But this time, um, I would still have these flashbacks and I had panic attacks and, uh, anxiety attacks. Um, and I'd be stressed all the time. Like I would wake up in the morning already at my limit of stress and, um, just go throughout my day already, you know, stressed and, and tired and exhausted because wasn't sleeping well, all these good things or bad things. Um, and then, uh, it got to a point to where, um, uh, my wife told me to leave the house, uh, and we separated. Um, and from there, uh, you know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'll leave. Um, I'm happy. She's telling me to leave because finally I have a place where I can go and die. Um, and I remember going back to, you know, to my apartment one night and thinking, all right, it's tonight or I'm going to try one last time. And, and it just so had happened that, uh, my wife or ex-wife is, had given me the name of this person who had helped a friend of my mom's. Um, and my mom had given this name to, um, my ex-wife and, um, I was like, yeah, I'll try this person and, you know, if it doesn't work, then, you know, I've, I've tried it all kind of thing. And that was my justification. Um, so I held on just a little bit longer and I met with this lady, her name's, uh, Denise Potts. Um, she's a doctor in San Diego who specializes in treating PTSD. Um, she does reconsolidation of traumatic memories or RTM. It's fairly new. Um, cause I, I think I felt to mention, I, I tried EMDR in the past and it just didn't really work for me. Um, so I was like, okay, new thing. I'll try it. Um, and I can't even tell you how fast it worked. Did it suck? Yeah. Like, um, the way that you process these memories, uh, is you relive it over and over and over and over in different ways, different viewpoints, different vantage points, black and white color, um, I'll just give you a quick example of what, you know, it would be like, she would have me imagine myself walking to a movie theater. I'd sit into the movie theater um, and there'd be a movie screen in front of me. And then like, I would float out of my body into kind of like the projector area, you know, uh, like back room. And from there I would watch myself watching this movie and this movie would be, um, it would have a good ending um, and it, or a good beginning and a good ending. And in between would be like, you know, what she would say the yucky part or, you know, the trauma. And um, they would be like times of memories of when I was around that same age or when the trauma happened. So a lot of it had to deal with, at first we were treating the flashbacks that I had. So the most consistent ones, I had five that would always happen and some more than others, uh, but five specific instances that would um in involuntarily or involuntarily enter into my mind and take over and i would relive it 
um, as if it were happening to me like in that moment. Um, so we started treating those and I noticed within like a week or two, like a huge change uh, in, in the frequency. Um, and when I would have them, uh, the effect or the stress that it would put on me greatly decreased. Uh, it really stopped um, a lot of these issues I was having of feeling stressed. I was finally sleeping better. Um, I was finally not feeling as stressed as I was. And like, as time went on, it just got better and better and better and better. Uh, and what that meant is I started to feel comfortable and excited to be around people. I started to look at life with excitement and joy, which is something I had never experienced in my whole life. Like maybe as a kid before I was molested, but like everything after that was just doom and gloom. And like, what do I need to do to get through life? Um, uh, and just check all the boxes so I can go to uh, heaven, you know, kind of thing. But like now I'm at a point where I'm just like, dude, there's so much in life that I want to do. There's, you know, so many things I want to experience. And like, I don't know, it, the best way I can put it is when I would envision myself in my mind, like closing my eyes, envisioning myself, I would see myself in a dark room, no windows, like just pitch black, but like, still light enough to where I can see the walls, and like the black floor and I would be alone. And like, there was no way out. Um, and through the work that I've done with uh, Dr. Potts, I, that like, to me is like four and I have to like think of it now. And it's like, I could, it's so familiar to me that I, you know, it's easy to think of, but like now when I envision myself, like she like, it's insane uh, how well it worked for me. Like I went from this dark room to standing in this like sunny, beautiful valley with trees and pathways of like opportunity. And uh, basically I went from this like stuck box to possibilities and sunshine and brightness and happiness, right? Um, and so, that is kind of just like a snapshot of my mentality or my mental uh, issues and just a very brief description of my healing process going through reconsolidation of traumatic memories and like how healing from these issues regarding the child molestation and the constant flashbacks and the PTSD symptoms and healing from a lot of self-worth uh, um, issues, all of it was connected, you know, as we dealt with the traumatic memories of the molestation, we also dealt with a lot of the traumatic memories of these interviews that I would have, or these feelings or specific instances where I felt unworthy, um, or, you know, things like that. A lot of these kind of like negative self-talk things that would constantly be on my mind, um, to where, you know, I'm talking over the period of months of, meeting with her at least two times a week. Um, and every session was an hour and a half, two hours long of work. Like she would be like, all right, hey, good to see you. All right, let's get to work. Today we're gonna be doing this, dealing specifically with this, let's go. And like, um, so through all that, I found a lot of peace, stability, and for the first time, like joy in life. Um, and, 
now kind of like talking about how do you want me to talk about like how like the mental shift really affected my physical absolutely yeah let's take a quick break to talk about power insole when i first heard about this product i was automatically turned off because of the name i thought it helped support the foot which was a huge no for me i quickly found out i was wrong Power Insole is a two by two gel pad that goes inside your shoe that works on your body's cells to help improve your recovery and your performance. I've been testing this out for a couple weeks now and really am amazed by the results. Like my body just feels better. My legs don't feel as heavy. And one really cool thing is you can put it on an area that's maybe injured or just achy and that pain and stiffness goes away quickly, or at least it did for me, which I thought was awesome. If you are looking for just a simple, easy way that you can enhance your recovery and your performance, I really encourage you to check out Power Insole and give it a test ride for yourself. You can find more information about them and pick up one for yourself at getyourfixpt.com slash powerinsole. And if you use code getyourfix at checkout, you can save 10%. You can also go to my partner's page, get your fix PT slash partners and find the link directly to power in soul, as well as all my other partners. And now let's get back to the show. So, um, another like side note, I guess, uh, growing up, I was overweight. Um, like technically my BMI was obese, uh, because as a kid, which I've come to find is very common, um, to cope with, all these feelings and everything that I was pushing down, I coped with food. Um, and I had a very bad relationship with food early on to where I would overeat. And um, I started losing weight when I was like 16. I uh, did it all the wrong way. I just basically starved myself. I uh, lost like 50 pounds. Uh, but since then, I've kept it off, which is great. But if I could go do it back now, knowing what I know about nutrition, it would be a lot different. Um, and even like from time to time cutting now versus then, you know, losing that weight, it's a lot more enjoyable to anyways, but, um, that was the way I coped. Um, and then after that, it, a coping mechanism was exercise. And, you know, once I removed the food out of the equation, uh, to where you know, I would be stressed if I didn't work out, um, I got into running, I would be running, you know, in college, about three times a week, I would go on 10 plus mile runs. Um, and I'm paying for it now on my knees, but uh, I became very obsessed with that kind of stuff. And I still am, I would say. I'm much more at peace with it. I can, I can take time off now, I can take rest days. But years ago, it stressed me out so much. It was kind of a way to kind of cope with everything. Helped me feel present, uh, feeling sore, feeling pain and those kinds of things. Sounds kind of messed up, but it, it's, it, it, it helped me mentally to, to feel grounded and feel present. Um, and so um, now, uh, or I guess not now, but that, that being said, you know, from 16 on to the present, which you know, I'm 29, uh, I've been very into fitness and, and to exercise. Uh, I started out going to the Gold's gym, doing the Stairmaster for like an hour and then just doing whatever with weights, whether it was like bench press one day, uh, shoulder press the next day, you know, just not knowing what I was doing. Um, and then I uh, joined the Army, Army ROTC, 
um, did armies physical fitness training, which by the way is not the best, but it is what it is. Uh, a lot of running, uh, which I got very good at. Um, and then I found CrossFit in 2017, right before I was uh, being deployed. Um, I remember my first CrossFit workout was at CrossFit Roseville in California. And it was like 30 burpee pull-ups and then like a 400 meter farmer carry. Um, I remember the coach bringing me over these tiny little kettlebells and I was like, well, I could do more than that. You know, I looked over at these like 50 year old ladies, they had more than me. Uh, turns out, no, he was, or it was she, she was very right. Um, I finished last that workout. Uh, but just seeing these 50 year old women, much smaller than me, uh, just tear up this workout, burpee, pull up, burpee, pull up 30 reps, and then hit this farmer carry like it was nothing. And I was stopping like every 20 meters, like just like huffing and puffing and dying. Um, I was like, okay, I think I found my sport. Like if I can move like them now, that'd be great, you know? Um, and so I left on my deployment. I didn't have a whole lot of, you know, CrossFit-esque equipment around me, but I had a good idea of like what kind of stimulus I want uh, just based off of two weeks of CrossFit. I was like, okay, these workouts are effective. Um, and so I started working out in those intensities, you know, short bursts of high intensity, uh, heavyweight, you know, reps constantly varying it. Right. And then, um, I began to see some changes, uh, but that also was at a time when I was deployed and I was incredibly depressed and alone. Um, I left weighing about like 185, which is about where I'm at now. And I came home at about 155, um, lost a lot of weight um, to, to the extent where like, it was not healthy for me to be that weight. Um, and I ended up gaining it all back eventually. Um, uh, but got home, uh, and I went through all that mental shift and everything, uh, working out hard at, at the CrossFit gym. And I just wasn't seeing a change as much as I probably should have. My PRs were going up a little bit, but like me working out and eating the way I was and trying to recover the way I was, it wasn't bad. It was good. Uh, but my body just wasn't doing it. Um, and come to realize now how much of an effect the, my, the stress, the, uh, my mental health, everything affected my physical body and really like the toll that it had on my body. Um, my body hurt all the time, even though I would ice, take ibuprofen, take time off. Um, I would eat well, uh, I would eat enough. Um, and I was eating at a surplus too at that point because at that, I was like 155 and I was like, okay, I should probably gain some weight if I want to, you know, be healthy and, and work out the way I'm working out. Um, and so my body weight started to increase, but my ability in the gym uh, my skills were better just technique wise, but like the weights weren't changing. Um, even though I felt like I was pushing myself and I was doing everything, even like this, what I'm doing now. Um, I, I was doing everything what I, that I thought would be right. Um, and it wasn't until I started to experience the healing back in April uh, of this year, 2021, that I really boom. Um, and I would attribute that, uh, 100% to the healing of my mental, uh, state of mind or my mental health. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that like, you know, 
boom, I'm healed from PTSD. It's still there. It's just manageable now. Um, and the stress, like, I don't know exactly the effect of stress on the body, but I know too much isn't, isn't good. Um, and me dealing with that every single day and not sleeping well due to nightmares and all those good, bad things, uh, really took its toll. But when all those things stopped, I have every strength cycle I have PR'd not by a little, but by a lot. Um, nothing has changed in my supplements, pre-workout creatine, nothing's changed in my protein intake. Um, the way I work out, the workouts, nothing's changed. Um, and so that's what leads me to believe for sure that it was healing of this mental, um, illnesses that I, I, I in, in trauma that I've been going through. Um, and it's just been such a relief and, um, just the changes in my body have just been incredible. Um, not the, like, you know, my body's incredible or whatever. It's, it's just this, my body is finally now recovering in a way uh, that I can sustain these workouts and the intensity of these workouts and see results um, and be able to move the way I want to move and uh, to attack workouts the way I want to attack them rather than before feeling incredibly fatigued, uh, not recovering, not getting stronger. Um, and yeah, it's just been uh, a huge change and a huge shift in my overall health. Yeah, that was very long-winded. <laughs> Sorry. Clear. I think you're hitting new PRs like every single week, not just every spring cycle. <laughs> well, I we we had our event, uh, the liftoff, where we did a snatch ladder and then we did a clean and jerk ladder. We just had a bunch of weights, you know, starting at like an empty barbell all the way up to like uh, 315 or something up in 10 pound increments. And, uh, I, so my last PR for my snatch was earlier this year in, I want to say February, still when I was going through all like the crazy stuff. Um, and I, I hit 205 in February. I hit 235. Uh, what was that Friday night? Just like a few days ago. Um, and then my clean and jerk, in the open, we're talking like April. Was it April? March. Yeah, like some of it was April, March. Um, I, my clean and jerk, I think it was 21.3, 21.4, the uh, workout after 21.3, where we did that complex. I had a PR there. My, my PR was a, a jerk at 215. Um, and I think like my clean PR at that point was around like that same weight. It was like 225. Um, I did a clean and jerk at 265. Um, and then I went up to 275 and I cleaned it, which is a huge PR. Um, and I, I failed on the jerk, but still, uh, like that is like a 50, 60 pound jump. Like that just doesn't happen, you know, like over that short of amount of time. And like my technique, like I've said, nothing's changed. I haven't worked specifically on like any of these movements. Um, and I, it's just the healing and it's, it's the result of like my body finally now, like resting and being at ease and being like stable and like hormonally and everything I'm sure is just like on a much more level attitude now compared to 
months and you know years before absolutely the other thing i think too or the other thing i really love to see with you is like i i've learned over the past several years dealing with my own life stuff that how much like personal stuff impacts business and like how your business has grown and like the opportunities you've gotten in the past six months too has like been phenomenal or for me really exciting to see just that growth that you've had yeah yeah no for sure i i do uh uh, photography and videography and you know specialize in crossfit photography and um yeah i i post pretty frequently on instagram and from there um we uh or not we i i got a phone call from crossfit headquarters um from one of their uh, team managers for the, you know, CrossFit Insight, or not CrossFit Insight, sorry, the CrossFit uh, page um, on Instagram. And, you know, they invited me out to go shoot for them with, you know, a contract uh, to go shoot at the CrossFit Games. And like, that was, that was the ultimate goal. Like, I've been into photography for a long time. But like, um, I started specifically shooting just fitness, like a year ago. And uh that was like my goal. I'm like, Oh, one day I want to go shoot at the game. So to have it happen that fast blew me away. Like I thought it was going to be a slow process that I'd shoot at, you know, like Wadapalooza first. And that would be freaking awesome. Um, but no, like the CrossFit games, you know, zero to hundred really. Um, and just the confidence and like uh, being able to tap into my inner, you know, artist and like uh, being able to, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a way to express myself. And I've always been drawn to those kinds of mediums, you know, and art of, you know, music and, and painting and things like that. And not that like I'm any good at painting or drawing, but like I can uh, appreciate the, you know, art in, in those kinds of ways. And so having something that's accessible for me and something that brings me joy like you know photography and videography it's like uh it's so refreshing i would say for uh for me to be able to like have these kinds of opportunities and having done it and you know got back from madison about a week ago um like there's more opportunities there uh with you know shooting with crossfit and um i like can't even describe to you like how in shock i was to get that phone call and then just like pinching myself every day I was there. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is really happening. <laughs> and like <laughs> all these like amazing athletes, these elite human beings, like just like a foot away from me. And like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I feel like I should be freaking out, but like, I gotta stay calm, you know? Gotta <laughs> <laughs> be professional. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, I can't remember when it was that we did my pictures for my business, the ones we did, but I'm like, I remember at that point you were saying like we were talking about like what you wanted to do and you're like yeah like I would love to combine my photography and the crossfit and it was kind of just like this goal that was out there and just to see yeah. it to come to fruition this fast has been really fun yeah it's it's crazy uh, trying to keep up with it is very expensive <laughs> <laughs> luckily they do rentals for a lot of like photo- you know camera gear and stuff like that and so I didn't have to buy a whole lot of things for uh, the classic games trip. I, I, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. 
if someone, just kind of start wrapping this up, if someone wants to reach out to you, whether from the personal standpoint or even the business standpoint, how can someone find you? Yeah, Instagram is the best way to to, to reach me. Um, it's uh, at Rick Evans Photo. Uh, that is the best way to reach out. Um, and that can be anyone, whether, you know, they're interested in, you know, uh, learning more about my story or relating to my story or um, resources as far as, you know, who helped me, uh, you know, Dr. Potts. Um, I've already had lots of conversations in private with a lot of different people who have, uh, you know, asked and I've referred them to her um, because she has made such a great impact in my life. Like I like sounds weird, but I love this woman uh, in a lot of ways, the work that we've done, uh, she saved my life uh, for sure. And then, um, you know, as far as inquiries is like, you know, photography and videography for competitions, events, um, Rick Evans photo on uh, Instagram is the best way to get in contact with me. Some other, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you so much for um, just being willing to open up and talk about your story and everything. I think so many people go through it aren't, and it's such this hidden thing that isn't, that is way too common. And I think just to have someone talk about and open up about it is really helpful for a lot of people. Oh yeah. No, I, like I mentioned, you know, before we started, I, I've got no shame in it. I, I've realized that I'm not alone in like for so long, I believed that. And I hate that. I believed that, you know, like it's, it's sad to me to think of that little boy thinking that he was alone in all this, uh, you know, that little boy being me. Um, and just wishing so badly to be accepted and to be loved um, and wanting that. And like, now I feel like I can uh, hopefully be a voice for those who um, have experienced those kinds of things. And uh, because I, it, it is, like you said, it's, I think it's much more common for sure than, uh, than we, than we think it is. And no one talks about it uh, because no one wants to talk about it. It's scary. It's creepy. It's, uh, disgusting. It makes you feel bad. Um, and rightly so, like it's not good stuff. And, um, but yeah, I, I just, I feel heartbroken when I hear of people struggling and, uh, I just want to be a support to those who, um, you know, struggle with similar things that I do. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time tonight. And yeah. definitely look, if you are interested in any photography work for definitely look into right key. Is good. <laughs> I appreciate that. I really hope you enjoyed that episode today. Before I close out, I want to talk to you about my eight week return to running program. If you've been off running for a period of time, just because life's gotten the best of you, or maybe you've been injured and had to take some time off, returning to running properly is key. Meaning don't ramp up too fast, too soon, or you're just setting yourself up for injury or perhaps re-injury. That's why I created this eight week return to running program. It ramps you up properly and safely so you can minimize that risk of injury as you return to running. So head over to getyourfixpt.com courses to check out my eight week return to running program as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again for tuning in today, and until next time, let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>